Welcome, everyone, to another Save Coast to Wildlife podcast. My name is Joe Reynolds, President and Executive Director of Save Coast to Wildlife. It's a wildlife conservation nonprofit dedicated to educating people about the preservation and protection of coastal wildlife along the Jersey Shore. You can check out more about what we do at our website at www.savecoastalwildlife.org. That's www.savecoastalwildlife.org. And the music that you hear in the background? Well, it's graciously being provided tonight by our good friends Apache Tomcats, a band out of Texas located near Austin, Texas. And if you're ever in Austin, Texas and see the band playing live somewhere, we highly highly encourage you to drop everything and go see them play live. That's Apache Tomcat. Apache Tomcat is made up of totally cool people, but if you're not in Texas, you can always check out their music for free at the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. That is freemusicarchive.org. Just search for Apache Tomcat. Lots of good music over there. And I'm joined tonight by some really good friends tonight. And to my right is... Brooklynite turned Jerseyite and Safe Coastal Wildlife devotee here with you tonight. Hi. Hi, Jen. How are you? I'm awesome. Great. And then in the center is... Samantha, and I am a marine and coastal enthusiast, so I'm happy to be here. And to my left is... Hi, guys. It's Melanie, and I am the only local, I think, born and bred... Always at the Jersey Shore since childhood. Maybe Joe, too. But the other two, they're transplants. Yeah, yeah. I was born along the Jersey Shore as well, too. So two, two Jerseyites and two New Yorkites. Convertees. New York City. Con- uh, yeah, yeah, convertees. I like that. Well, ladies, friends, it is mid-May along the Jersey Shore, and we're recording this podcast near Sand Hook Bay, and if you look closely on full and new moon evenings, you're going to find a strange ancient sea creature coming out of the water. It has ten eyes, seven pairs of legs, blue blood, and a long spiny tail, a large coffee-colored shell. What could it be? My last boyfriend. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Any other guesses? I know, I know. I know, I know. And what could it be? <laughs> horseshoe crabs. Horseshoe crabs, you're right. It's horseshoe crabs. Of course oh. I'm talking about horseshoe crabs. It is the International Week of Horseshoe Crabs. <laughs> you know, ladies, when I was young, there really wasn't much environmental education. Um, I grew up along uh, uh, Long Beach Island, down along the Jersey Shore, and there was horseshoe crabs that used to come out full moon and new moon evenings. And uh, I would see these crabs, and I was a little, you know, little peace kid, you know, little, you know, flower child or whatever. And I would see these horseshoe crabs coming together, one on top of another, and I didn't know what they were doing, and I thought they were fighting. So I would split them apart saying, you know, ah, don't fight, don't fight, don't fight. So uh, this is why environmental education is really important because we know now that what they're doing is not fighting but actually mating and making the next generation of horseshoe crabs. So if there's a lack of horseshoe crabs in Barnica Bay, now you know the reason why. It's your fault. It's all your fault. 
So horseshoe crabs are really important. We love horseshoe crabs. And when I started out being an environmental, edu uh, environmental educator many, many, many moons ago, what I would do is I would pick up a horseshoe crab and actually put it on my face to show people that horseshoe crabs really are harmless to people. They don't hurt you all at all. People tend to think that, you know, these really weird looking creatures are going to harm you. They have these spiny tails and these arms and legs are always moving all the time. They just look like, like space monsters or something. And in actuality, they're really not there to harm you at all. They're very gentle creatures. So I would pick one up and actually put it on my face and show kids that these horseshoe crabs are harmless to people. All they want to do is just come out really once a year, two months out of the year, and just uh, lay eggs, have sex, and then go back in, in the water and, and live their life. And that's all they want to do. And they've been doing that for close to, I don't know, half a billion years or something. So it's just an amazing creature. And uh, and unfortunately, not many people know that much about horseshoe crabs because they only come out like two months out of the year, in, at least along the Jersey Shore and in the Northeast. Wow. <laughs> lot there, I know. That was a lot. a lot to unpack lot. Yeah, there. Lot, lot there. They are living fossils, aren't they? I, yes. They have not evolved much for millions and millions of years. They've... So uh, they really evolved from trilobites. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Trilobites, right? So there was over 60 species of trilobites a long, long time ago. People think, scientists think, evolutionary biologists think that uh, horseshoe crabs evolved from trilobites. But then the trilobites died off and the horseshoe crabs survived. And so their ancestors, their relatives, if you combine them all together, horseshoe crabs and their relatives have been on this planet for like 500 and no 450 million years something like that a very long period of time and they really haven't changed in the last like 200 250 million years so they've they've been around longer than the dinosaurs wow for a long period of time and basically they've been doing the same thing every spring um, you know, for all that time. And what it's, it's a great story. A lot of people don't realize this, but every spring along the Jersey Shore and New York waters and Delaware Bay and down in Delaware and up in Massachusetts and Maine and horseshoe crabs come up on full moon and new moon evenings. Now, do you know why they come up on full moon and new moon evenings? I don't, actually. Melanie, do you know why? Nope. Ambiance, lighting. <laughs> <laughs> it's more romantic that way. You're close. It's it's very good guess, Samantha. Um, maybe because of the light of right. their photoreceptors that's right. on their bodies. That's right. They're very light sensitive. They have like ten eyes, right? So we just have two eyes, but horseshoe crabs have like ten eyes, and it's really amazing. Their eyes can see ultraviolet and and, and different shapes and different things. And one thing they have on their tail is is to pick up different. Uh, um, like lights of the moon in order to find a mate. And so it's really an amazing thing that this, this invertebrate has 10 eyes in order to pick up all this different types of light, ultraviolet light, light from the moon. And so they pick that up and they come up during full moon and new moon evenings because then the tide is higher on new moon and full moon evenings. So they can go in between the intertidal zone between high tide and low tide wow. and they can lay their eggs in that intertidal zone. 
I don't even know when it's high and low tide. Yeah. They do. Isn't that amazing? Really smart invertebrate. This is one reason why they've been around for so long. They are smarter than your average invertebrate. Maybe not quite as smart as squids and octopuses, but nevertheless, they're pretty smart. I would say it's a different kind of smart, more like very well adapted to their environment. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So horseshoe crabs are really well, really well adapted to their aquatic environment and, and uh, able to come up and uh, start the next generation. So horseshoe crabs have been doing the same thing. They come up on full moon and new moon evenings. They lay their eggs. But what's really amazing is before they lay eggs, they have to find a partner. They have to find a mate. You guys know how do they find mates? Um, Match.com. <laughs> <laughs> Melanie. Horseshoe crabs only. <laughs> so females will let this sort of sweet little perfume go, this sort of aphrodisiac sort of smell that will attract males coming up on the beach. Now keep in mind, females are loaded with eggs, and all their eggs are located in their head. So imagine... You know, you have all these eggs right in your head. Isn't that amazing? So they're moving kind of sluggish all around, and they're letting go of this sort of sweet-smelling aphrodisiac that only male horseshoe crabs can pick up. And and so the males are coming because they're all enticed. And in general, there's more male horseshoe crabs than there are female horseshoe crabs. I know along the Jersey Shore here, we find for every one female, we find about 10 uh, single male crabs so and that's just on a good night there could be a lot more male crabs and female crabs than that so we're not too sure why that's the case but in general there's more male crabs than there are female crabs so there's this competition among male crabs to get to the female crabs so you're going to find like male crabs like struggling and and just you know on top of female crabs try to get the attention because what they want to do is they want to hook on the behind of that female crab. Now, Melanie, I know that sounds really exciting to you. <laughs> sounds like a normal bar yeah. scene for me. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a good date to Melanie whenever the guys are putting their arms on her behind. But <laughs> Lovely, just lovely. <laughs> well, you have the great pheromones, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah you do have great uh, sweet-smelling aphrodisiacs, that's right. Um, but, you know, so imagine that not only that, but in horseshoe crab land, because the females are cra- uh, carrying eggs, they are actually like bigger than the males. They're like, what, 30 percent bigger? I think it is 30 percent bigger than the. So imagine if, if, if this was like for humans, females would be, you know, much taller. They all be like, you know, basketball size people. And we, you know, the males would be like, you know, these little shrimps mm-hmm. walking around. Imagine what the world would be if that was the case. It'd be Pretty totally awesome, different. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so in horseshoe crab land, right? So you have the females coming up. You have the males fighting for the females' attention. One lucky male crab will get a hold of a female's behind, and they have these boxing gloves. This is how you can tell the difference between male and female, right? Males have these sort of hook-like appendages, uh, like boxing gloves, right? and so they hook on behind of the female, and then. When that happens, the female will drag the male around and they're going to look for a really nice spot. The female will dig in. She's going to lay some eggs and then the male's going to fertilize those eggs, right? We've seen that in the water. Jen and I have seen that in the water. Oh, yeah. We've seen lots of sperm in the yes, water, horseshoe crab sperm. Have. Yeah. 
was very exciting. It was very exciting. <laughs> very exciting. So we've seen the, the actual reproduction taking place, Jen and I, and Mel as well, too. I don't know, Samantha, have you seen that as well? Yeah, I have seen it. I've seen it on Sandy Hook. Nice. That's really cool. So it's great. Not a lot of people have seen that. Obviously, if you're, li- if you're listening in Idaho or Ohio or Montana or maybe even in Texas, Austin, Texas, you maybe have never seen a horseshoe crab. And you're like, what the heck are they talking about? What is, what is horseshoe crabs? Why are horseshoe crabs really? Why do they find them amazing? What's so cool about horseshoe crabs? Well, again, they've been around for a long period of time. While the dinosaurs have died off, the horseshoe crabs are still around. And they're basically doing the same thing they've been doing for millions of years, which was coming up on full moon and new moon evenings and starting the next generation. So a bunch of us who belong to Save Coastal Wildlife, we go out on full moon and new moon evenings to count crabs, right? And so we've been doing this for about 10, over 10 years now. And so it's a really amazing process. We do it in Sandy Hook Bay and Raritan Bay. There's really no other organization that counts crabs in Raritan Bay and Sandy Hook Bay. We're downstream from New York City and people don't realize there's crabs in Raritan Bay and Sandy Hook Bay. People don't realize there's crabs around New York Harbor. People think that the only crabs that are around are in Delaware Bay, but that's not true, right, Melanie? Oh, we have tons. Usually the first week in June, there was uh, tons. Yeah. Yeah, we had a couple of crabs. Uh, We did it, this is like mid-May. We started early May counting crabs, and there was a few crabs early May, and now we expect in mid-May... This is gets to be this this gets to be the height of horseshoe crab spawning season. So we expect to have a lot of horseshoe crabs on uh, the next time we do it, and and then it starts to peter out a little bit towards the end of June, and and then that's over. It's uh, horseshoe crab season's over. So really, only lasts two months, May and June. If you're down in Florida, um, it happens twice, and and maybe if you're down. Um, Also in Florida, it might happen a little sooner as well, too. But in general, if you're here in New Jersey, Delaware, New York, Massachusetts, we only get to see them once for two months every single year in May and June. So it's a really cool thing. And uh, and I should point out that horseshoe crabs, they're not really crabs, right? So for all those people that are thinking horseshoe crabs are crabs, they're not. Any idea what they might be? Oh. They call them crabs, though. <laughs> they do call them crabs. They look a little like crabs. They're spiders, really. Yeah, they're more related to spiders. Any idea uh, what's the difference between horseshoe crabs and crabs? What are some differences between horseshoe crabs and the crabs? The number of legs they have. That's one thing. Their shape. Shape. Yeah, that could be... What do you mean by shape? Well, I feel like a crab is more, has a flat carapace right. versus horseshoe crab, which are three pieces. Right. That's a good point. Absolutely. Yes. Melanie, any idea? They're missing the pinchers that pinch you, yeah. those crabs. Yeah. Well, also, the big thing is true crabs, like blue claw crabs, they have like antennae or stocky eyes, right? Mm-hmm. Horseshoe crabs don't have that. And again, most true crabs only have two eyes. Horseshoe crabs have 10 eyes, 10 eyes. That is amazing unto itself, right? A lot of crabs, a lot of true crabs, they walk sideways, like blue claw crabs. They don't walk front and forward, front and back. They walk sideways. And so horseshoe crabs, though, they walk front and back, right? So they can do that. It's pretty cool. They actually walk frontwards and they walk in a big circle. So all that together. And also, too, they do have... Now, the thing they have in common is they have jointed legs, right? 
So that is most uh, crabs ha- or most chew crabs have that along with horseshoe crabs. But horseshoe crabs, as Jen had mentioned, they are more related to spiders and scorpions. And in fact, their closest relative today is actually a little spider, not a true spider, but somewhat of a, a spider in the tropics. It's a tick spider. It's a tick spider. Yeah. Which sounds like a horrible name. I know, it sounds like a horrible name. But they're actually really small little things, maybe like the size of your fingernail or something, and they're really harmless to people. So just like horseshoe crabs, horseshoe crabs look really scary, and these tick spiders have a horrible name, but they're really harmless to people. And they're in the tropics, and and actually their population is dwindling, just like horseshoe crabs as well, too. So there is a lot of similarities between tick crabs and horseshoe crabs. <laughs> we have Josie, our dog. I thought it was a crab climbing up. Yeah, we, th- we thought it was a horseshoe guy. We have Josie, our dog, roaming all around the table over here underneath the table and keeping our legs nice and, and cozy and warm. It's cold here in, mid- in mid-May. in mid It's like 45 degrees here. It's cold. I don't know where the warm weather is, but it's cold. So don't be fooled. Horseshoe crabs are not really crabs. They're only faintly related in that both kinds of animals travel through the water on jointed legs. However, in 1881, evolutionary biologist E. Ray Lancaster, Lancaster, L-A-N-K-E-S-T-E-R, placed horseshoe crabs solely in the group of animals more similar to spiders and scorpions. In fact, the closest relative is the small hooded tick spider, which belongs to a small order of arachnids. um, And they are found living today mostly in West Central Africa and tropical America, uh, tropical Americas. So you might think, okay, this is great, but why are horseshoe crabs important? Why do we really give a flying fuck about horseshoe crabs? So <laughs> I got to make sure I, when I record it, when I put this on the podcast, I got to put this is for adult people only now. <laughs> so why are horseshoe crabs really important? Uh, well, because they're important in ecology, right? So birds will eat those eggs. Migratory birds will eat those eggs. Can somebody name a migratory bird that might eat that egg? Eat the horseshoe crab eggs? The red knot. The red yes. knot, absolutely. Red knot, right? So the red knot population is dwindling as well, too. And they're dwindling because... Horseshoe crabs are dwindling? Horseshoe crabs are dwindling, right. And so as a result, there's this connection between horseshoe crabs and birds... And, and we're running out of horseshoe crab uh, locations for them to spawn, populations dwindling, and as a result, uh, shorebird populations. There's just not enough food. You have a red knot that is traveling all the way from Patagonia, stopping at Brazil, and then making this long journey along, across the ocean to New Jersey to stop and feed on one thing and one thing only, and that's horseshoe crab eggs. And so when there's not enough horseshoe crab eggs, these birds just don't have enough fat and energy to continue the migration up to the Arctic tundra and 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 start the next generation of red knots. So you're talking like a 9,000-mile journey, and really the most important part of that journey, that migration for the red knot, is right here in New Jersey to find horseshoe crab eggs. And why people often think that Delaware Bay is really important, and it is. It's, it's really important, but there are horseshoe crabs here in Sand Hook Bay and Raritan Bay. And one problem we have here in Raritan Bay and Sand Hook Bay is just not enough crabs to support a good population of migratory shorebirds. And you know the reason why we don't have a huge population of horseshoe crabs in Raritan Bay and Sand Hook Bay? Melanie, you know why? New York still can chop them up for chum, can't they? Um, 
they use them. Good, that's a good guess. Good, but they use them for bait. They use them for bait. And this Eels. is the problem: is that the New York State, see, just about every state along the East Coast has protections for horseshoe crabs. In New Jersey, we have a full moratorium on horseshoe crabs. You cannot capture, hunt, collect, gather horseshoe crabs. Right? You just can't do it. You need a special permit, and it's really hard to get. So just don't do it. But in New York waters, right, they still harvest horseshoe crabs in places like Raritan Bay, Jamaica Bay, Long Island Sound. And you can get $5 a crab. Now, I suck at math. But if I had 1,000 crabs at $5, what would that be, Melanie? $5,000. Ooh. $5,000, right? So... Okay, fixing our equipment over here. So $5,000. So that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money for one night's work because you can get 1,000 crabs. If you have a good net, you could scoop up lots of crabs. And what do you think? What type of crab are they really looking for? The females, the, the big females, ones. The females, the big ones, right? Because they have a head full of eggs. And those eggs really are good bait for what? Eels. Eels. Eels and... Anyone? 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 Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> eels and whelks. Eels and whelks right now. I don't know. Melanie, do you eat eels? No. Samantha, whelks. Vegetarian. You look like a whelk girl. <laughs> Vegetarian. Conch fritters for you. No. Jen, conch. Veg too. Sorry. So we don't really eat eels and whelks here. In fact, many of our members for Safe Coast to Wildlife, our executive members, are vegetarians or vegans. Um, but there are people around the world, especially in Europe and in Asia, that do eat lots of eels and whelks. And so there is a good market for capturing horseshoe crabs, especially females because they're big and they have eggs and they make really good bait. Chop them up and then you're going to use that for bait. Now, there has been talk about, hey, you know, making this substitute uh, for horseshoe crab bait, right? They're working on this sort of synthetic material that's going to use, uh, uh, instead of horseshoe crabs, they're going to use that to get eels and whelks. But they've been talking for that for like 20 years and still not around. And so they're still capturing horseshoe crabs and using it for bait. And they're using it here in New York waters. And New Jersey, Raritan Bay, and Sandy Hook Bay is so close. It's one big horseshoe crab population. So when you're taking females and crabs out of the water of Raritan Bay and Sandy Hook Bay, or I should say Raritan Bay, it's going to impact Sandy Hook Bay as well too. It's in, it's going to impact our local waters like the Navasink River and the Shrewsbury River and, you know, the entire New York Harbor. It's going to impact that area. And not only that, but did you know they use horseshoe crab blue blood, which is copper based, they use that to in medicinal purposes. Does anybody know why they use horseshoe crab blood for medicinal purposes? It has Sorry. something called lysate, which attaches to bacteria. So it prevents things like vaccines and medications from having those type of impurities. That's true. Thank, that's a really good explanation, Samantha. Thank you so much. Yeah, really. That was good. Uh, you know, humans don't have blue blood, unfortunately. I wish I had blue blood. How we cool. We have an immune system. Yeah, that's true. Vulcans had blue blood. Spock, Mr. Spock had blue blood, but I don't have blue blood, but horseshoe crabs do. Whereas our blood is iron-based, right, to transport oxygen through the body. Horseshoe crabs rely on copper-based blood. Copper-based blood, thank you. Copper-based blood turns bluish-green when it comes in contact with oxygen. 
This strange coloration isn't the only remarkable thing about horseshoe crab blood. The ocean is downright full of germs, and a single germ of undersea sediment contains roughly one billion types of bacteria. Yum. Yeah. So next time you swallow water, <laughs> Melanie, Blah. be careful. <laughs> You're going to get bacteria in your mouth. This is why I don't kiss you. Sorry about that. <laughs> so unlike us... The anthropods lack infection-fighting white blood cells. Instead, special cells attack pathogens in horseshoe crab's body by sealing them inside a gooey physical barrier, thus halting the maladia's spread. I'm just pronouncing that right? Maladia? Maladia? The disease is spread. <laughs> Ever since John Hopkins University physician Frederick Bang Here's a great last name, Bang. Frederick Bang discovered this characteristic in 1956. Medical scientists have been capitalizing on to ensure that the vaccine or any drug that you take into your body is safe, right? So in the old days, they used to do this on rabbits. They would take a vaccine, inject it into a rabbit, and if the rabbit got sick or died, then they knew that vaccine was unsafe. It had bacteria in it, like E. coli or something that would make you sick. And it could do damage to you. So, thankfully, we don't, you know, we don't do this on rabbits anymore. But it, it took a long time. It took anywhere from days or weeks. Now they do it on horseshoe crab blood, and it takes hours, or sooner than that. So, however, that's a good thing. But the bad thing is. They take a lot of horseshoe crabs out to do this, right? So they have to take lots of horseshoe crabs to get their blood. They don't necessarily want to kill the horseshoe crabs, but they take hundreds of crabs and they take about 30% of their blue blood. They drain about 30%, about a third of their blood is drained from each single horseshoe crab that is taken for these pharmaceutical purposes. And so as a result, it kills anywhere from 15 to maybe 30%, maybe even higher than that. It's a lot of crabs that die during that process, in my humble opinion. And so, again, scientists are working on a substitute because they realize that horseshoe crabs are uh, getting uh, killed in this process. And not only that, but once you, you, know, once you take a third of your blood, it, it pretty much makes you... You know, you're going to get sick. You're going to, you're going to get, you know, if you're going to feel grouchy, right? You're not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And that's true for horseshoe crabs. So the mating season is over for them. And, and there is some discussion and studies about whether horseshoe crabs can ever really recover from getting a third of their blood taken out during this process. But the reason I bring this up is not only for that, and that is really sad, but also there are people in New York Harbor who are taking horseshoe crabs out of New York Harbor, bringing them up to Massachusetts because Massachusetts is the nearest pharmaceutical facility that actually um, takes horseshoe crab blood. Horseshoe crabs are then drained of their blood by a third and those horseshoe crabs are taken back to the water to live out their life, but they're not returned to New York Harbor. They stay in Massachusetts. So our horseshoe crabs are taken out of New York Harbor, sent to Massachusetts, and they don't come back. They never come back to New York Harbor. They stay in Massachusetts. So this is the reason why New York Harbor doesn't have a lot of horseshoe crabs, right? People still harvest them for bait, for eels and whelks, and they harvest them for the pharmaceutical uh, purposes, for getting their blood and, and sending them to Massachusetts, and they don't come back. So... We here at Save Coastal Wildlife would very much like to have more protections for horseshoe crabs. 
right? We would like to see, especially female horseshoe crabs, we would like to see more protection for female horseshoe crabs. At the very least, you know, I don't want anybody to stop earning a living. And I know there's there's commercial fishermen that make a living out of harvesting horseshoe crabs, and that's cool. I don't, you know, what we want is protection for horseshoe. We want greater protection for horseshoe crabs. I need I need a license to do just about anything nowadays, right? You need a license to drive. You need, you know, you need license to teach and, and do all these things. You need permits and license and, and all these things to do anything now. You know, I work for an organization where you have to get um, certified to run a pool nowadays. You have to be certified to run a pool. You, not anybody could just run a pool like mm-hmm. at a hotel. If you have a ho- if you have a pool at a hotel, there has to be somebody certified to manage that pool. You just can't hire a bum off the street. That person has to be certified to run that pool nowadays, right? And that's a good thing because we don't want bums managing pools. <laughs> In case the water gets dirty, in case a little kid takes, you know, a piss in the pool, um, you know, that person should be certified to do something about that because, you know, I don't want to swim in kids' piss. Right. I don't know. We have gone <laughs> We are on a tangent. <laughs> so my point being is that, you know, yeah. there needs to be more protection for horseshoe crabs. If people need a permit to manage pools and do all these things, we need permits for everything nowadays. To hunt and fish. Don't you need a license to hunt and fish just recreationally? Yeah, I mean, for the most part. You don't need a saltwater license, but you mm-hmm. do need a, a, a saltwater registration mm-hmm. in New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. So you need you need something to, you know, to, to, to fish and for hunt and all these things, right? Mm-hmm. So we want just greater protection for horseshoe crabs in New York waters. And I don't think that, especially for female crabs, I don't think that should be a big deal. But somehow it is because just last year, what's what year is this? This is 2019? Mm-hmm. I believe 2017 or 2018, there was one brave soul in the New York government that did try to propose greater protection for horseshoe crabs. And it was shot down by the commercial fishing industry. They were like, oh, no more licenses and permits. You guys are bastards. Don't do it to us. And they were like, all right, forget it. So, yeah, it's tough. I know it's tough, but um, we're going to lose our horseshoe crabs. And by the way, people don't realize that, but people don't realize this, but there are other species of horseshoe crabs. Really? Yes. There are three other species of horseshoe crabs. They're all located in Asia in uh, Japan and Southeastern China and India. And all three of those species are all endangered. They're all nearly extinct. And the reason they're nearly extinct is a couple of reasons. First and foremost is uh, they lost their habitat to spawn because of all the development along the coast in places like Japan and China and India. They're all developing along the coast. There's no longer any places for horseshoe crabs to spawn. That's a big reason they lost their habitat. Water pollution is really poor because of all the urban and suburban development in those places. And another reason, there is such a huge market for horseshoe crab blood here in the United States of America that not only are we taking our horseshoe crabs here in our local waters, we're actually taking the few remaining horseshoe crabs in Asian waters and draining their blood and bringing that blood here in the United States of America. Do you know for one pint of horseshoe crab blood, do you know how much money you can get for that? How much? I don't know. A million dollars. $15,000. $15,000 for one pint of horseshoe crab blood. One pint of horseshoe crab blood. So have they seen the effects on migratory birds in Asia? 
Uh, that is, I don't know if they have any birds that rely anymore on horseshoe crab eggs. I'm not sure. That's a really good question. We'll have to find out more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but here in New Jersey, certainly in Sand Hook Bay and Raritan Bay, we would have a much larger migratory bird population if we had more horseshoe crabs along this area. This is one reason why we don't really get migratory birds like they do down in Delaware Bay. We just don't have the huge population because these migratory birds, they don't dig into the sand to get to the bird eggs. They don't, their beaks aren't built to dig into the sand. But uh, what they do is they have to feed off the horseshoe crab eggs that are also on top. So if you have lots of horseshoe crabs digging around in the sand, then you know those birds can eat the eggs that are left over. Um, from all those horseshoe crabs that are digging the sand to lay new eggs. It's a complicated process. There's lots of things going on, but it is International Horseshoe Crab Week. And so we want to give more protection to horseshoe crabs. And hopefully now you know a little bit more about horseshoe crabs than you did before. Uh, we want to protect horseshoe crabs, especially locally here in uh, along New York, in New York waters. There's just really not a lot of protection for horseshoe crabs in New York waters, and we want better protection. So hopefully we won't lose our horseshoe crabs like they are in China and Asia and places like that. So I don't know. What do you think, Jen? I think, uh, yeah, if you live in the state of New York, you should call your, um, your representative. All right, so real quickly, them. you have a story to say about horseshoe crabs? Well, you know, um, I was in Cape May once, and uh, it was around this time of year, and there was a horseshoe crab on the beach, and this little kid came. He wasn't that little, in my defense. Um, <laughs> he was probably like eight or nine, and he kept picking up the horseshoe crab and carrying it around. And um, and I was I asked him to please put the horseshoe crab down, and he wouldn't. He said he wanted to go show it to his mother. And so I said, well, how would you like it if a giant hand came out of the sky and picked you up and carried you around to go show it to its mother? And then he put it down and went away. <laughs> we need more protection. We need more education for horseshoe crabs. So please spread the word. Horseshoe crabs are gentle creatures. They've been around for millions of years, and all they want to do is just come up in May and June in the spring, spawn, breed, lay eggs, and continue the next generation of horseshoe crabs. So please, let's protect horseshoe crabs. Why is it so hard to protect horseshoe crabs? It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. And their tails aren't stingers either. And don't pick them up by their tails either. Don't do that. No. All right, last words. Melanie? I got nothing. Samantha? (laughs) Well, something I want to point out is that horseshoe crabs take around 10 years to sexually mature. So we should be protecting those big brooding females um, as well as the smaller populations. So I think that in any policy, that should be incorporated. Good point. And that is the last point. So thanks, ladies. See you again real soon. Love you all. Thank you. Happy International Horseshoe Crab Day.